as I've been thinking about, as I've been retired, I've been so blown away. I've just, it's really become so clear to me that the values of sport that have served, served us, you know, as teammates, um, as a foundation for learning, growth and mastery have not ended when we leave the company. And that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you left the company. JC. JP. Happy Wednesday, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. How you doing, man? Right? Yeah. Oh, dude. It's, It's just a weird week. I don't know what it is, man. It's just been a weird week. Going with the flow. Good punches, you know. Yeah, but I'm excited to talk to Jaina. Um, I was thinking about, like, you know, she started at the company, I think, in, like, 1990. And Yeah, I wanna, I'm want i excited to hear her, like, history. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So. I mean, you know, obviously, like, you and I didn't start until the 2000s or whatever, but, like, the 90s <laughs> are, like, an interesting era at Nike that I don't really know a whole lot about. And so I'm really curious to kind of hear her perspective on it yeah me too i'm i'm actually like i like you said there's so much like um opportunity to hear like oh my gosh sorry uh (laughs) (laughs) that's ridiculous sorry um i hopefully that doesn't happen during our podcast so so i think like um i just sent the link to hello Hey. Oh, there she is. (laughs) I am here. Can you hear me all right? Oh, yeah. Cool. Are you in your office space? I am. So I hope that it's not too loud because I've got my dog right below me. And uh, she likes to come here because she gets away from her border collie, um, who is incessant. (laughs) <laughs> uh, so hopefully you don't hear like kids in the background but uh anyway so happy to talk to you guys today yeah well don't worry about kids i think we all understand that scenario right now i think i, I have my kids everywhere and then i'm sure jc has his kids <laughs> running around doing stuff too so yeah no big deal absolutely that's what that's the new normal so <laughs> Well, they're not my kids, but but they're kids here anyway. So. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> my kid's thirty three this year, so yeah, crazy. Wow. That's yeah, time flies, right? Sure does. <laughs> like yesterday, I was going through, I was preparing for, you know, the talk with you today, and going back down memory lane a little bit, and uh, I was like, holy smokes. <laughs> That's like, that's what the nice byproduct of this conversation is just to like, yeah, just kind of reflect on those experiences. And I would love to just jump right in. Um, You know, obviously, you and I have known each other for a really long time. Um, You know, met you through Krista, um, who I worked with very closely when I came in in the company in 2000. Um, And you and I have obviously worked together uh, quite a bit, you know, most recently, I think probably within the last, you know, five years or so. But yeah, I really didn't have a lot of backstory on, you know, your career coming into Nike and and how you um, came to Nike. You know, what was that that how how did you get in the door and 
could you kind of just maybe take us from your collegiate experience and, and how that may have led to or had a hand in your experience at, at starting at Nike? Sure. Um, actually, I think I'll take you a little bit further back just for a little bit more context because I'm a native Oregonian. Um, both my parents are pretty creative in different ways. My, my father, um, well, we, I was born in Springfield and we lived in Eugene until my father got a job at Georgia Pacific um, in the advertising department. And so we moved to Portland um, and but he's a commercial, he was a longtime commercial photographer and entrepreneur. And, you know, we grew up having this photography uh, dark room in our house and developed our own film early on. So that's sort of like, I was looking back at that and, you know, thinking about where I really, you know, learned about the right shot or composition frame and you know, how important visual aesthetic is to, um, to sort of communicate through the power of photography uh, in terms of, you know, communicating ideas or, or evoking a reaction. And that really has sort of like played out in my, in my career uh, at Nike. Uh, so I was, like I said, I was, I'm a local gal, uh, went to Beaverton High School right down the street from Nike campus and went, uh, I was going there when Nike was just coming onto the scene and there was a lot of energy building um, around the brand. And I got my first pair of wa Nike waffle trainers and they're so unique and so different. I knew that I wanted to work there eventually. Uh, I went straight from, Port uh, from Beaverton High School to Portland State University um, where I could live at home and save money. Um, I took uh, business and marketing um, classes uh, and I felt like that was a really solid base for a career. And then in Port uh, I left Portland in 1984 to pursue a faster lifestyle in the Bay Area. And uh, I felt like Portland was just a little bit too slow for me. Maybe it was also that I wanted to needed to get new experiences, but I went, I was landed in the Bay area before the dot-com boom, um, slept on the couch of my childhood friend for the first month until she kicked me out. Um, went to work for a, a systems interconnect cable manufacturing. So company, they did a lot of government contract work, uh, for Lockheed and others. And, um, then I met and married my, uh, ex-husband who was a former semi-pro soccer player and uh, moved to Sacramento where I took a job at a real estate investment company and where my son was born and then made the difficult decision to return to Portland as a single mom uh, with my son to be have more of my kind of family and network around my network so I guess in my, where I landed at Nike was, um, let's see, I took, I signed up with a temporary agency that Nike used back then so that I could get into the door and I've heard that that was the best way to get in. So I landed a temporary job in Nike's travel department at our Creekside building, which is off Nimbus in Beaverton. <laughs> The assignment was for three weeks and it was um, working on December sales meeting and 
rooming lists and, and, um, you know, calculating the airline costs, like really going through each itinerary one by one, you know, and, and that was quite unique. I learned who was sleeping with whom, who snores, you know, got a, got an idea of all the like major players. It was really, really interesting. I'm sure that uh, there were a lot more stories there, but it was so incredible to see kind of like how Nike was operating then. That was the time when we had, if you remember, because I want to, I was thinking about all the technologies that we've gone through, right, at Nike. Uh Um, I think we had a Wang computer then, (laughs) if you remember that. That was, those were the days of like, you know, typewriters, those power typewriters and stuff. Oh Uh yeah. I was like, I'm like, what is that like? (laughs) (laughs) It was crazy. But, um, so after my temporary assignment, I stayed in touch with, uh, the woman who hired me, who was Val Hubbard and, um, went to work for another, um, a company, local company, beverage distributing company. And then when another project came up, she contacted me and I convinced her to hire me full time in 1990 when the South Campus was just completed. So my 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 first kind of two months or three months was planning the opening grand opening party. And um, that was just incredible. So um, I don't know if you want me to just keep keep going. So well, you said that. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Okay. So, I mean, it sounds like, you know, you, you, you kind of got your foot into the door at Nike. I mean, that's what we've always heard. So that has, that message has never changed since I've been there too. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, I think with your, you know, your networking and all the, the things that you've done in, in trying to curate and, and narrate your kind of journey through within Nike, you've done an amazing job 29 plus years. I mean, almost 30, I would say 30, right? And, and being able to kind of have your hands touched in every piece of single business of Nike, it sounds like. Yes. In fact, it's it was interesting when, when I'll take you through a little bit more of like what my journey, my career journey was at Nike. Um, and and that'll sort of, it, it really does sort of illustrate that, you know, it was sort of like touched all aspects of the company from executive level, you know, down and across the company, which is, I've always been so grateful for. Uh, so first in travel, when I, I landed that job with Val Hubbard, I was, um, that was, a, we had four agents then, if you remember, we worked with a IVI travel agency, four agents, I don't know how many it is now, but, um, I was responsible doing, you know, things like um, negotiating corporate rates for airlines, hotels, and car rental companies. I was putting together new employee welcome packets because we were hiring people like crazy. And um, it was a way to kind of help them transition from Portland uh, to Portland from all over the world. And then I put together a familiarization trip program for admins to have a better understanding of what their travelers were going through so that they could, they could help to, um, you know, help that travel experience. Cause our people were tra- are traveling all the time. 
Um, and so how do you make that more enjoyable and more seamless and more friction-free um, for them as they spent most of their time on the road? A lot of our salespeople at that time did. And then travel merged with events. And so we, I started to understand the level of energy and excellence in creating world-class experiences. We were doing, uh, at that time, we were at the Atlanta Super Show. Uh, we, were, we were everywhere um, in terms of um, exhibits and we were doing, working on sales meetings that were happening, I think four or five times a year back then. And um, incredible team of people that created the experience and executed that experience from start to finish. It was, wow. Um, then I had an opportunity to join the corporate communications team when we merged and formed the first global comms organization and did that for a couple of years. I then moved over to, uh, there was an opportunity to be an executive assistant to, if you remember him, Andy Mooney, who was a VP and was assigned to uh, ramp up the equipment business. And so we moved over to another building and uh, off campus and helped to build that organization and and expand it into lots of different products. We did it all. We were like eyewear, timing, uh, inline skates, baseballs, you know, (laughs) baseball bats, everything. Um, And uh, so that and then he once we did that for a few years and supported that team, um that that morphed into the next assignment, which was I think we uh, Andy was responsible then for filling in for the VP of apparel and also into a virtual category offense. So we were testing the viability before actually going into a category offense strategy. So he hired um, a lot of leaders, including, um, I think, if I recall correctly, like Larry Miller, um, Pamela Nefrakara, and um, some others to wow. lead up that offense. And and it was really there were a virtual lead because we didn't. We were at that time we were like I think footwear apparel and and uh, that sort of organizational structure. So. Um, Let's see, when Andy left to become the president of Disney Consumer Products, I was able to move into this new sort of uh, consumer insights organization and within the marketing organization. And I found my passion for understanding the consumer and bringing consumers to life through physical installations. Uh, I launched ConsumerNet, which was a, um, it was a precursor to like BrandNetX and some other things where it was a one-stop shop for consumer market and competitor information that we were curating from across the company so that we could, you know, be more efficient about that knowledge base and to be able to share a singular message around our consumers. And then I developed a Consumer Insight Speaker Series program, which uh, we brought culturally relevant thought leaders in to share strategic foresight, to inform 
you know, our long-term planning. So we were looking really far ahead then. And um, so I really love doing that. And so from there, uh, as I was in working for, for Mary Slayton in Consumer Insights, there was this new team being formed around future insights. And I thought, oh, that sounds really interesting. And because um, that's, you know, I, I like uh, Jabari and like needing to learn more and move on and and um, continue to challenge myself. So I thought that would be a really great opportunity that turned into a group called Consumer Cultures and Concepts, which turned into Consumer Cultures and Innovation that ultimately became Global Brand Innovation, where we were incubating new consumer um, experiences and connections. And we were trying things like online communities and we started our first blog and we had an innovation space, which was the former Nike design library. And um, I was involved in creating the dig process, uh, discover IDA, generate Nike's proprietary insight generation process. And in that team, I really learned the value of a truly diverse team that has the ability to fuel innovation. And it was just awesome because you know, we really did have people from lots of different backgrounds there we um, and experiences and cultural backgrounds. And it was the most amazing team I'd ever been on. From there, um, I joined another group that was being formed within the global sustainability. It was sustainable business and innovation then led by Hannah Jones. And there was this new team called Mobilize. And um, the Mobilize team was, well, it was set up for the intention of mobilizing action in terms of changing behavior, right? So it was, that was both internally at Nike and externally with key stakeholders. And uh, so that role, evolved into creative producer um, serving the global sustainability and sustainable manufacturing teams. And I leveraged my cumulative global marketing experience and my understanding of the art and science to establish a unified creative direction, built toolkits and curated photo photography, all to support the, you know, effective and you know, create compelling communications that helped accelerate our sustainable strategies. I was so lucky to work on meaningful projects um, that really showed people what sustainability means to Nike and, and what's at stake. So some of the things that I've was had the privilege and pleasure of working on uh, was to do our first ever photo and video shoot at Nike's best factories in Vietnam and Indonesia in 2016 as a way to demonstrate the results of Nike's equitable manufacturing work, which was, if you don't know, was essentially when you put workers at the center, it leads to happy workers, world-class product, and profitable outcomes for everybody. 
And we started to use that photography and video finally in communications outward to consumers, just when people were really needing to see, you know, or see tangibly what, what that looks like, what making process looks like. So I also work with design to succeed, to see some sustainability programming and share the work that they were doing on sustainable design. And then um, led some global research to inform our global sustainability strategies that are currently in progress today, like move to zero um, and employee engagement strategies. And uh, so I was able to work on things like nikegrind.com or Nike Grind business, Nike uh, Inc. Chemistry.com and the chemistry team and purpose.nike.com. Cool. So my, yeah, when I left in 2019, when I, when I graduated, I should say, or when I retired, <laughs> I was part of the transparency and engagement team within global sustainability. I mean, first and foremost, I'm going to say thank you for developing and, and actually curating something called the consumer dig. For me specifically, I think anybody who comes into Nike understands that consumer, what we call the consumer dig. I mean, we change acronyms like crazy. That was another thing, mm -hmm. but like really ideating and really truly speaking to the consumer, going there, listening, watching them do what they do in their daily lives to be able to understand who they were and what they did. And for us to be able to say, okay, we get it, you know, just, you know, thank you. Because I think that was one of the biggest takeaways that, you know, I think everybody at Nike has taken away is just understanding the consumer. Because I think at Nike, we do it the best of really telling a story through the lens of not just the athlete, but the consumer with a product and, and how we tell that story. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We, that was so much fun to work with the team um, because we all had a part of it. We all, all took, um, we tested it ourselves and we lived it every day of our you know, work in that team. And, uh, you know, what I loved so much about that was that you go, you know, they talk about the five whys and you keep, you go deeper with people. And I think that that's what Nike does. And that's why um, Nike is so good at it is that we really pay attention to ask the questions and go deeper than anybody else and see what, see what no one else sees. And then you can bring those, you know, bring those people, bring those people to life in a way that, um, that helps the rest of the teams across the company, right? Understand what their needs are. Yeah, it's. I think that it's amazing though, also just on the other end of the spectrum to think that something like that group didn't exist until, you know, you basically and you and your team started it. And it's just kind of incredible that before that period of time, it was just sort of like, winging it you know what i mean like i think it's incredible yeah. that um the company was as successful as it was for so long with not having that resource in place it's kind of it's, that's an interesting angle yeah i mean it, consumer insights were being done before then but we didn't really have um it wasn't consistent throughout right and so what we 
wanted to make sure was that, and we had a lot of people coming from IDEO, which is who we partner with to, to co-develop that. And, um, but it wasn't, like I said, consistent throughout the organization globally. You know, we had people coming in and saying, oh, you know, like the new color is red kind of thing. And well, that's not really what's, you know, that, that's not really foresight or that's not really, um, yeah, it's trend, but it doesn't really tell you about the consumer. And so um, it was actually the brief was train the trainer. That's the original brief for what turned out to be the dig process. <laughs> and what we were going to do, you know, and this is all led by Jeff Chaw, uh, who, who is now at Ferrari, right? He, um, he came in and, you know, like uh, helped to, you know, he immediately went and started like networking and he demonstrated how to, how that works best at Nike. Right. Um, but he was, he thought, okay, well, why don't we train people in the right way to do it? And then you sort of like earn your black belt, so to speak. And, and, um, but we quickly found out that people really, that was, a, would have been an ad, they already had their daily job. So that would be an added job that they would have to be trained for. And secondly, they love people generally loved their the experts and being able to confer with the experts or the consumer experts, which was, you know, at that time, um, in part, our team. And um, so to be able to kind of tell them, this is where things are right now, or to be able to go to and say, hey, we want to do this research and or we want to help uh, help. We want to understand this consumer better. Can you help us do that? And so we ended up kind of scratching the train the trainer program and really going with this with this um, method of this kind of unified method of of doing that work. Jenna, I, I, I wanted to ask, like, as now you've kind of, like you said, graduated, you know, after Nike and you're kind of doing your own thing. Um, like, do you see a specific trend where brands are now like saying they're really listening to the consumer, but you know, in the back of my mind or the back of consumer's mind, it's like, there's a lot of talk, but we haven't seen a follow through or what have you seen kind of with your experience so far? Yeah, I, um, I haven't been as close to it since I've left, but I've always been really passionate about understanding where the world is going. And, and um, so there's one kind of resource that I always go to and I'm still connected with uh, the Future Laboratory and the things that they're doing there. Um, what, what I think about, there are certain brands that really are, are still looking that much further ahead and really understand. And then I think, I think a lot of people kind of defer to the easiest and maybe because they're too, too busy with, I just see a trend being, you know, sort of more near term versus far term. And when you're near term, it sort of seems like me too, you know, you see a lot more of like kind of me too marketing and, um, nothing that really stands out like, Oh my God, that is so memorable that, um, you know, I don't see anybody really doing a lot of that. And I, I think with some, some time I'll be able to like say, Oh yeah, these brands are doing that. But 
Um, can't really, really recall anybody that's doing that well. Gotcha. Hey, Gina. I have a question yeah. um, for you, like regarding so your career path at Nike. Um, and this sort of like anecdotally through the years, it seems like the early days of Nike, the opportunity for movement into these different areas was pretty massive. Like people were able to, with like not really like fluent experience in certain areas, able to kind of just take the leap into completely different functions within Nike and, you know, just kind of start a new career path. Do you feel like that was kind of true for your career at Nike? Were you able to kind of, cause you, you obviously, again, it's a very diverse experience. Yes. I think, I'll, you know, when we all early on, you know, people, we were still building the company. And so we were given license to be able to experiment. And there wasn't that as much at stake as there is now, it seems like. And so I always joke that I would never be uh, hired today because I, uh, <laughs> to get in the door, you know, you need multiple degrees and, and um, you know, you need X number of deep experience expertise and I have a lot of kind of broad expertise. I think people didn't have as the, I think one, I built a reputation of that I was a hard worker and I was, I, I looked at things differently and I could provide a different perspective and that when you're a hard worker and you're, you look to the future and you're willing to put in, put in the time and the energy and looking forward to create something new and impactful. I think that helped me a lot uh, to be able to do different things. And because I don't know necessarily that it was my connections back then uh, necessarily. I knew in that time I was able to, to work with people across the company, like I said, and, and so I developed a reputation for um, being authentic and, you know, um, credible, you know, and truthful. And so I don't know if that had part of it, but I, I, I would say that, for instance, in the global sustainability team, when I left, that we had a lot of, um, you know, PhD, I was working with a lot of people with PhDs and, you know, government experience and things like that, that didn't, um, that seemed like that was the hardest place where I felt like I wasn't really understood because I think people didn't understand Nike's way of doing things and the, and the art and science of marketing. And how do you translate that um, to the team? So um, I hope that answers your question because it was a lot easier. Now yeah. there's more at stake. Yeah. Now there's now there's you know like stake shareholders that that are expecting a lot, and there's a lot riding on the success of the company. And each individual thing that you do has an impact. I, and I think that leads into like leadership a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, for me, it's like with a lot at stake, even without. Even at the, even at the beginning of your Nike career, I think when you guys had a lot of freedom to be cr creative and, and moving forward and try things, um, even today, even 
as it's big now, I think it's, it really leads into leadership and, and like how good the leadership you have um, and, and to be able to have that confidence in your leadership team or even boss to be like, hey, I'm going to try it. If you trust me, I can move forward with it. Could you kind of describe like without throughout your whole entire experience, like the memorable great leaders you've had and then also kind of give some with the follow up question, could you give some advice to these younger kids or even people who are in, in the scenario of having maybe a difficult boss and being able to how you handled it and to be able to continue pushing forward and being able to say, eventually there will be a great boss that will, will, will get my like ideation or, or my, will just get me. Uh, wow. That's a big ask. Okay. I'll, I'll, <laughs> <laughs> I will do my best here. Uh, I have had my fair share of amazing leaders and I've been exposed to and work with amazing leaders and I've had just the worst leaders ever. And so I think that you, um, one, you, I think it's important to speak from your heart and be authentic in who you are and what you, what you need as an individual and, you know, keep, keep doing that. And, I always referred to all of our, always went back to our competencies and, you know, what we're measured on, uh, the competencies and behaviors and being true to that and, um, and demonstrating that in whatever role I was in. But there's also just people that are very difficult. So, and, and I don't know, I think if I were to look back, a lot of those people that I may have perceived as difficult, I think were new, fairly new, and maybe there was a lot riding on their success. And so they didn't understand really the how to get the most out of people and in order, in order to do um, to see what we can achieve together when, when you get the most out of people. Right. And when you, when you treat people with respect and, and, um, and are able to see what beyond their resume or beyond their previous job to look at that person and look at their experience and see beyond and say, Oh, well, this person I could see sort of, beyond what's on paper, what this person brings to the table. And I just, uh, that you had great leaders. If I feel like a great leader saw that in someone and saw the potential and said, hey, I really see that you, these are your strengths. Let's do more, you know, in the areas that you have more strength in and let me support you in the areas that are, you're, they're gonna be a little bit more challenging so that you know, to ensure your success in, in that. And I think when I think about great leaders, they do that and they're willing to then go to bat for you and say with others. And when it's time to kind of be, to be promoted or when promotions or opportunities come up, they would actually, I think even back then, or even with great leaders today, they do that for you. And I don't know 
to the extent that that happens um, anymore because, or in certain pockets, I think, you'll find that in more little pockets than, than in general. But in theory, those are sort of when you think about great leaders, those are the things, those are the attributes, those are the behaviors that I see. Um, Does that to, answer your question? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's like, I, I, I know I gave a little bit of a, a elongated question, but, you know, what I've realized more than ever in today's, um, I'll say, our, our community of, of people who are great leaders, I think, you know, the big discussion is, is about leadership and who's leading. Uh, um, are they kind of, you know, still going with the flow of, of the old ways or are they truly adapting, learning, understanding, being empathetic? Um, and so I just, I see, if you see the great companies, I feel like, like you said, there's probably pockets, but um, I think great brands um, will emulate you know who they are and what they do authentically through the through the lens of the the leadership that they have. So yes, you did answer it. So yeah, I would also say that when I look at some of the bosses that I had that I've called out and what they what they did for me as a leader and supporter in what I did was I saw a lot of autonomy. I saw you know they gave me the autonomy to do. Um, some different things to expand my role, to support me in um, in that, and and the support in terms of um, leadership, and in in terms of okay, going to bat for me, right? And but yeah, autonomy is a big one because I like to work independently, but I also like to collaborate. <laughs> a lot and I that's that's my that's where I that's my strength so to somebody that supports you in 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 developing your strengths but also okay if I wanted to learn more about strategy or if I wanted to become a better strategist to support me in that even though that's not uh, my my natural state right but it's it's then it's what I need to do to get to the next level. Yeah, exactly. I think I think you st stated it, and I, we've heard it from previous leaders as well. Is is like, I think Jabari said it best in our last episode. Was like, if if the curiosity or the the opportunity to learn is is no longer there, it's 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 time to move on for sure. Mm -hmm. Or if you get blocked, or if it's like no, no, you we need you to do that. Um, and that only, I, you know, that to me, it doesn't, doesn't speak about Nike as a company. It does, it goes against, you know, kind of the company, you know, values and energy. Um, I have had, I had a boss one time that uh, when I was moving from one to another, they wanted to keep me there as long as possible and kept putting jobs on me keep putting, giving me projects to do up until the nth hour. And, you know, because they didn't want me to leave. And I think that that's another aspect of an, a leader is that when you, when the person wants to go and explore another area, you support them in wanting to go there. And it's a win-win if 
they're going to another area of the company um, because they've learned from that, that experience and then they're going to apply it somewhere else. Yeah. I think like this kind of goes back to the point I was trying to make earlier, just around this sort of like cross pollination between these different groups and experiences that was there early on in the company. And I think obviously as a company grows, the culture of the company from its early days starts to change, right? As you're bringing in uh, people from outside the company to bring in fresh ideas. And then those ideas kind of like mix with the ideas that were there from the beginning. And it, you know, in some sense that starts to kind of get watered down or filtered out a little bit as the company starts to grow and get bigger and things like that. And so, you know, I've always told people that when I was there, you saw that just do it sort of entrepreneurial, like kind of spirit at Nike, um, where, you know, there was a lot of like, hey, yeah, go do that. If this is what you want to do, go, you know, go follow that, that goal or follow that dream internally and and take those learnings with you. And I think like, you know, this may not be inherently in what you're saying, but it, that's changed a lot, right? And so those opportunities and those risks that I think that the, we're doing taking early on have, have kind of like become a little bit fewer and far between. Do you think that that's fair? I think that's fair. I think and the one thing as you were talking it that came up for me um, in is that you know, a great leader also acknowledges your contribution and, and, and not taking that, uh, the credit and giving credit was where credit is due. And I think, you know, it's, it becomes a really, um, gray area because of it's really a team environment, but it's the individuals who break, make up the team. And so to be able to reinforce, a person's um, contribution individually and then as a team is equal equally important in being a supporter and a leader within that. Um, but uh, yeah, but I, I found that the more, the, the bigger that Nike got, because I was just thinking about it the other day, I was uh, at Nike when we were $3 billion company and then left when we were a $39 billion company. And when I think about um, how big it got and how disconnected I felt, um, I took matters into my own hands and adopted a new uh, sort of my way of understanding what's going on and getting, um, you know, getting the pulse of the company by just meeting people in the coffee line or um, meeting new people and, meeting somebody new every day and was able to learn about what was happening around the company. And I felt like I had more of an awareness of, of what was happening. And so I felt like a lot of times when it was difficult um, at times of when it was difficult, you know, whether it was a, a during a transition or something, because in sustainability, we went through, gosh, I mean, you're always changing and stuff. And early on, I was moving every six months to another building or whatever. But, you know, toward in sustainability, we were evolving so rapidly that it was a little, it was hard to keep up and, and feel centered. Mm -hmm. And so by meeting people and being able to understand what they were going through and that I wasn't the only one, I felt, felt like I was connected to um, people. I 
could feel like, oh, okay, good. I'm not the only one and we're together and we, we have a, sim a similar experience. And so that's what connects us. And um, so that was one way of, I feel like I um, was able to stay connected, even though it became more and more siloed. And that's yeah. just what happens when a company grows. It's really hard to, it's not going to be the small company that it initially was. Yeah. Um, that's, can you talk a little bit about um, how you stayed connected in your network um, in your post Nike life? And specifically, I would love to hear more about um, the wing women group. If you can kind of speak oh, to okay. that experience. Sure. Um, so when I left Nike, um, <laughs> to live life on my terms, um, <laughs> and make decisions on my own, I, um, I wanted to just do a lot of sampling. One of the things that I, one of the groups that I had become aware of through my sister, Krista, who works in, still works in Nike and DNA, is the Wing Women Network. And the Wing Women was founded by 10 former Nike female executives um, as a way to sort of stay connected and to support each other um, like the Wing Goddess of Victory. And so when I, let's see, so I joined that team or joined the network in fall and then started, I was just felt like, oh my gosh, I really needed this because I, it was a landing place for me post Nike to be with my teammates that understood a similar experience, had a similar experience, which was the Nike experience and um, which is quite unique. Right. And so um, I was started just volunteering to work on some of the events because um, we get together um, around four different kind of pillars, personal, professional, philanthropic, and political. And uh, so help to kind of work on the programming side. And now I'm a board member. And it's been really a great, great resource. I've been able to connect with um, people that I wouldn't have normally connected with because we didn't necessarily know each other, even though I heard their names or had come across their names and they've been an incredible resource to me. And I'm just grateful for that. And I've learned a lot um, through the research that we've done in terms of what people, what um, people need after and want after they leave Nike. So, I mean, I always knew that I wanted to stay connected to the brand, but also the people. And I realized, oh my gosh, you know, I just also discovered the Nike Global Alumni Network on LinkedIn, which is the, both of these, the Wing Women Network is a LinkedIn sort of based community. And so is this Nike Global Alumni Network, which is, uh, was, was started in, or established in 2007 by, um, a guy, um, Eric Martin, or I'm sorry, um, he's going to kill me when I say that, uh, Jeff Martin's, <laughs> Jeff Martin started the global alumni network on LinkedIn in 2007. He had the foresight to like, 
create a community. And so I connected with him. I'm like, hey, what are you, what are your plans for this organization? Because I'd love to help you to take it to the next level. And he said, oh my gosh, how wonderful. So we started working together to figure out what what we wanted to do and how we wanted to kind of um, bring new life to that community and, uh, and, you know, have more people engaged. And so I took over the ownership of that community and reset the intention of it based on what I think that I had learned from countless interviews with people um, that has had left the company and so that both of those places I felt have been an amazing resource and, and source of inspiration for me. And it's a way that I'm feeling like connected um, to the broader NECI alumni community. And um, so um, we're now looking to take that uh, to create a new platform that because you know LinkedIn is amazing, it doesn't give you the kind of connection I think that I'm looking for in terms of what would be a uniquely Nike experience. Yeah, yeah. I, I I I love where this is going, and um, I love the the wing women situation that you're in. I think not even situation, just community, and, and I'm a big believer of like when you're a part of Nike and even if you leave Nike, you're still within the community. And like you said, we're all cohesively together in this, in this journey that we're all individually going through. Um, my, my, my last question to you, Jana would be if, and we've been asking it to every um, guest, but if you could give yourself advice to your younger self back then, um, what would it be? Um, and, and how would, you know, what would it be and how would you go about it? What would it be and how I would go about it? Well, you know, it's, I've heard all of your podcasts so far and I feel like there's some of this is going to be repetitious um, because, you know, as Carrie said, it's like, be courageous and confident, <laughs> trust your gut, take more leaps of faith. Right. Um, I think I would add to that by saying, you know, make sure you're always having fun. Because I think in the early days at Nike, we were able to have, we there, there was enough, um, we were just starting, so we were able to do that, just, just have fun. And um, so always kind of be checking your fun, you know, gauge and see if you can bring fun into it. And even when it's difficult, how can you bring the fun into it? And then I would add to that by saying, and this is some of the work that I've been doing in the last uh, year since I've been kind of decompressing from Nike um, and is determine what's, explore your beliefs, determine what's true and not true and throw out what doesn't serve you any longer. And so I think that, I think, for me, I, I would hold on to things um, and even if it didn't serve me anymore. And so as the process of letting go of things that don't, um, yeah, that don't serve you. So those are some things I would say to myself, to my 
to my younger self. <laughs> yeah, I think um, the reason why we ask, and they're probably you're right in the regards to consistency of, of being repetition, but I think great leaders do all think alike. And um, I, I think to have fun is a big one for me as well. I think um, we, I think that's just life. You got to have fun and do what you do and, and value your values. And I think that's why um, we do what we do in, in, in wanting to work for a specific brand or being a part of a certain community um, or even being just in general, meeting new people and getting to know their story and their history. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Jana. I was just going to say, you know, as I've been thinking about, as I've been retired, I've been so blown away. I've just, it's really become so clear to me that the values of sport that have served, served us, you know, as teammates, um, as a foundation for learning, growth and mastery have not ended when we leave the company and that doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter how you left the company that you're also learning and growing in the process. Yeah. We're humbled. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Gina. That means a lot. We're, and I think like, you know, I won't, I'm going to speak for John, but I think that like our conversations again, you know, you were, um, you know, part of the conversation before we even had one guest. And I think it's like your perspective and your encouragement um, for us to, to go out and do this thing was really important. So thank you for your kind words. It means a lot to us. Yeah. You're so welcome. Well, I hope to be able to talk with you again once once we have launched our platform and uh, our new platform that sort of uh, takes the, the Nike Global Alumni Network on LinkedIn to the next level. And um, we can have a, a broader conversation about that when that happens. Yes. Yeah, looking forward to that. Absolutely. Thank you, Jana. Cool. Thank you. Thank you, Jenna.